0: Hello, everybody, and a welcome to the Game Changers experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today I am super, super pumped and super energized, as I always am. Today we have a really interesting guest on the show, and his name is called Alan Hunkins. Now, Alan, basically what he does is he helps um, high-achieving people become high-achieving leaders, which we'll talk about. He's got over 20 years experience in consulting and coaching and speaking uh, with over 2,000 different group leaders and has worked with an abundance of different corporations, including Walmart, IBM, General Electric, just to mention a few. And he's also a best-selling author called, and he's got a book called Cracking the Leadership Code, which was published by Wiley last year. And, and Adam, just want to say welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Adam. I'm so excited to be here with you and have our conversation.
0: Absolutely fantastic. So, so interestingly enough, we're gonna be talking a lot about leadership because that is your area of expertise. And I always find leadership an extremely fascinating conversation. Now it's interesting because if we'd have been talking about leadership, maybe I'd probably say a good 18 months ago, it probably is one of those um what we call subjects where everyone seems to be talking about is leadership, leadership, leadership. But now leadership has really shifted. Over the last eighteen months, especially as we go, what I call through the digital revolution, um, which is what we're in now, and um, I don't know what, what your thoughts are about that. What, do you think there's been a shift there? What do you What do you think?
1: The answer is yes and no. Has there been a shift? Yes and no. How's that for non-committal? I'll, I'll, explain <laughs> what I, I'll explain what i mean by that. Yeah, sure. So, has there been a shift? Of course, there's been a shift from the point of view of you know the coronavirus pandemic and all the after effects of that has pushed things forward where as one of my colleagues said we're no longer there's no more future of work there's just the now of work right so many things Oh, we can't do this we can't have our our staff work from home yes you can and you (laughs) just did amazing right so obviously there's so many repercussions and that yes that has changed what has not changed however underneath are the principles of what makes for an effective leader and it's I was just on a podcast uh, yesterday talking with a host and speaking about this, and you know, because my, my book was launched on March the twenty fourth, twenty twenty. So clearly, it was came out the, <laughs> the week the world shut down, but it was clearly it pr- went to print way before the pandemic. And she said, right. you know, it's amazing because the principles in your book were seem almost prescient, like even more important than ever. And I think it's true because I think the timeless principles have become that much more important in that. You know, in this new world of work, let's call it post-March 2020, your good qualities need to be magnified. And anything you're doing poor as a leader is being magnified. So if you were a mediocre leader before, it's the cracks are really showing now. And so ultimately, what it comes down to, to me, are what I call the three Meta skills that leaders need to demonstrate in any format, whether it's live or virtual, online, synchronous, asynchronous. And these three meta skills, and they're timeless, universal, but they're especially important now. First is connection, right? Because at its heart, I don't care what industry you're in, you can be in pharmaceuticals or software, engine, you know, manufacturing. Ultimately, you're in the people business, right? You're working with human beings. And so at its core, leadership is a relationship between a person who would like to lead and a person who chooses to follow. So connection is number one. Number two, it's around communication. How are we ultimately creating common understanding in our communication? The goal of communication is not just to communicate. It's to actually make sure that we're creating clarity and insight so that we can make the best decisions possible because Mm. the best decisions will lead to the best outcomes. And the third piece is what are we doing to collaborate most effectively? So it's around collaboration. That is what am I doing as a leader to create and design an environment where people can show up at their best, so they can do their best work, not just today, but sustainably in a humane way for the long term? So again, those three big meta skills are around connection, communication, and collaboration.
0: Love it, the three C's, guys. I mean, I mean, I, I I'd, I'd actually one hundred percent agree with you on that. You know, and and it doesn't matter. If you are the ceo of a billion dollar company or you are the ceo of a small six-figure company the, the fundamentals don't change i think that they can be applied in every situation especially in this day and age um so i think you, you you've hit the nail on the head there so that was good great stuff all right um interestingly enough i suppose um i suppose my my, my thought is is that what would what you say are some of the common bad habits that inexperienced leaders uh, potentially use? I mean, you've worked with bigger organizations. You've worked with, you know, experienced leaders. you work with inexperienced leaders. And you probably see the commonalities, whether it be the habits, whether it be certain rituals or, or certain, certain flaws that they use. What, 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 from your perspective, what, what, what's your thoughts on this? What, what do you think are some of the common bad habits that were kind of, or the alarm points that maybe some of our inexperienced yeah, yeah. leaders are listening to?
1: Yeah, I, I love the question, Adam. And I also want to do a little level setting when we when we talk about inexperienced leaders, right? Because the fact is there are lots of experienced leaders that are falling into these bad habits as well. Mm. I like to say, because the question is, are you learning from your experience? And not everyone does, which is why you have some leaders who have 20 years of experience and other leaders who have one year of experience 20 times, right? Because they're still <laughs> just, they really have not accelerated the growth because a big part of this. You can accelerate your journey. I mean, part of my reason for writing the book was around helping give people like, look, these, there are traps, there are pitfalls that unless you know better, you will fall into. So let's get into some of these. Yeah. So number one, it's this mindset. So many people who wind up in leadership roles first and foremost got there because they were high performers who get stuff done, right? Like like for example, you're in sales, Adam, you're a great salesperson. We're going to make you the head of the sales team. Well, guess what? The skills that make you a great salesperson do not translate to becoming a great sales leader. So therefore becoming, just trying to do more is not going to get you there. Or as our common colleague, Marshall Goldsmith wrote this book, what got you here is not gonna get you there, right? So the first thing is recognizing you have to shift from being the high performer to focusing on facilitating high performance in others. And that is less about pushing and doing and commanding and controlling, aka old school leadership, aka born out of the industrial age, where you literally had people on the assembly line doing manual labor eight hours a day, every single day, the same stuff for it. Let's take an example of Ford Motor Company, the Model T, which they had on the assembly line, that product did not change for over two decades. It was the same car they were producing. Mm -hmm. So literally, Henry Ford said about his employees, why is it every time I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? The idea was to show (laughs) up and do, and other people would do the thinking. So the first trap that we fall into is thinking that we have to be these command and control leaders. You know, as you said, we are in this digital age, you know, the digital revolution. We are definitely still in it and going through it. So the first thing is people don't need you to tell them what to do. You need to actually convene the smart knowledge workers that you have, understand what they know, find out who needs to know what you and other people know, help Mm. information move from where it is to where it needs to be, find ways to translate that information into insight, and then support people so they can do their best work. So the first thing is this idea that I got to let go of the idea that I'm in charge because what you will end up defaulting to is power struggle. And we all know this probably, we've all experienced it somewhere. Many of us experience it in our families of origin. I know you have a 16 month old, so maybe (laughs) you haven't gotten to this place yet, but this whole sense of, you know, it's easy, you know, when we are frustrated and we are in a position of power, it is easy to default to, oh, just just do it because I say so, right? Because I say so is a really rookie move when it comes to leadership, (laughs) because at best, only at best will that create compliance But you will not get any level of engagement or commitment beyond that. So that's the first big piece that I would say. And then the other big overview here is that so many leaders, because we feel pressure to deliver results, you know, we're highly conscientious, we're results driven, which is a good thing. However, we oftentimes focus so much on results that we do so at the expense of people. And a good rule of thumb that I coach leaders on is to put people before tasks. Because the fact is, all of those tasks and all those results and all those metrics that you spend nights worrying about, whether that's (laughs) earnings per share or revenue, whatever that is, guess what? Those numbers are just lagging indicators that actually are lagging as a result of the behavior that someone did something. You know, sales don't sell themselves. There was a salesperson who did something or a process that created automation for people to come back and click and buy. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing to understand that? Put people first. And so we have to realize that we need to spend a little bit of time with our people first. And that means learning how to go slow because yes, in our digital age information travels at the speed of light. You know, you get 200 emails a day in your inbox that happens instantaneously. However, human beings travel at the speed of matter and emotions and they're messy. And you've got to learn to embrace being an amateur psychologist because you're dealing with people. And so you can't avoid that. Otherwise, if you do, you're again, rookie move inexperienced. So you do so at your own peril. So those are just a couple of examples we can go into. I mean, we've got a ton more, but this, those are a couple <laughs> of big, big rookie moves that oftentimes inexperienced or lack of experience leaders make.
0: Some good points there. I love it. Very, very cool. I, I suppose the other thing that We really didn't, uh, which you kind of touched on a little bit, which I I think is a great trait to have is leading by example. Because you talked about power and having the power struggle. But I suppose leading by example and actually getting your hands dirty, right? And actually showing someone and saying, hey, why don't you follow me? Is a much better alternative than, oh, why don't you just do it the way I do it? And let's not ask questions. What do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's such power in modeling um, one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Albert Schweitzer, the Nobel Prize winner, who said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Right? And so, again, and I think one of the challenges that so many you know, inexper- inexperienced leaders have, and I see this and I get asked this all the time, it's like, how do you get better at this? It's very hard to do this well if you've never had anyone role modeling for you. So what does it mean to be this new generation of facilitative leader who knows how to connect? Communicate and collaborate. If you've never seen it, you can read it in a book, but you still like. But what would that look like day to day? And so breaking that down. So 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 for example, um, we you know we talked about the importance of putting people before tasks. So let's just make make that even more granular and tactical for people to do. So here's three questions you can use, and I call it the check-in, and it's something you know before your project team meeting or you're getting together with your direct report on a one-on-one meeting. You know. Maybe it's once a week you do this before you get into all the work stuff, just to take a few minutes. And literally, this will not take you more than a few minutes, is to ask them three questions. First question, let's say I was with you, Adam. First question I would say so Adam, how are you feeling today? And and by the way, you can't you can't answer, I'm fine, how are you? Right. It's not just a, a cultural placeholder <laughs> pleasantry. So the first thing is is to ask someone how things are doing. How, how are you doing really? Because hopefully the eggshell has been cracked open. That's the silver lining of the coronavirus pandemic, which is We've got to make it okay for things not to be okay, right? The fact is, we're all human beings, and the fact that we're all zooming in. I can see you at home there. You've got a curtain. There's something like a pillow next to you. <laughs> we're, you know, there's there that we have real lives, and there's pets and babies crying and all this stuff going on. And so, in some ways, it's helped us to embrace our humanity. And we're also dealing with a life-threatening pandemic disease of you know COVID nineteen. So the first question is, how are you really? And opening up and you can share for yourself, how am I doing? And, you know, and if I'm the leader, I don't have to be, I'm perfect. I'm always perfect. I'm, you know, I'm Superman. No, instead, like, well, this is what's going on. Like my kids are going back to school and they're really struggling because they've been remote learning for a year and it's really hard. And my daughter who's going into high school feels like she doesn't have any friends. I mean, so, you know, so again, just connecting and being, again, I'm not saying have group therapy sessions, but just sharing a little bit of reality of life. So number question number one, how are you feeling? Question number two, what's on your mind or what's distracting you? You know, because the fact is, we're not all like, I'm perfect, I'm here, I'm ready to go. So it's helpful to give people that psychological space and safety to say, hey, what's going on in terms of what's on your mind, what's distracting you? Mm. Great, and then to answer that question, and then the third question, Adam, how can I support you today? What can I do to support you? And just again, and the great thing of those three questions is, You don't need to know what the answers are. You just need to listen and validate, normalize someone's experience. And then that will take you a few minutes. Then you can get into all your work. I can guarantee you taking the time to go slow will actually accelerate your long-term results. And that's counterintuitive for a lot of leaders. So again, there's a a simple example of, of a way you can practically apply some of these things and you can be the role model. And then they can start doing that in their team meetings, going back to the whole idea of leading from example.
0: Love it! Some great examples there, Ellen. Well, that's that's, yeah. that's great stuff. Um, interestingly enough, and maybe I should have asked this question right at the beginning, but you know, we talk about um, we've been talking about the importance of the difference between good leaders and bad leaders. But now, my perceptual, um, I suppose, um, my, my my definition of of a good leader is going to be very different from your definition of a good leader. But what really is a good leader? any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. Number one is a good leader. There's no objective standard in that if leadership is a relationship, it's ultimately about perception. So what's good to you looks different from the person next to you next to them. So part of it is it's not a one size fits all. That being said, there are certain fundamental universal principles that we know work in terms of what makes for a good leader. So I would say number one is that good leaders make people feel valued and that that person cares about them. So you could say, so what's the skill you need to demonstrate for people to have the result of feeling valued and cared for? You need to show empathy, right? Show people that you understand them and care how they feel. And, do, and empathy is a skill that can be learned. Um, another thing that's key is that people, makes for a good leader, people have to believe you as the messenger, because if we don't believe the messenger, we won't believe the message. Therefore, what are you doing to make sure that you are credible in the eyes of the people that you lead? And there's been a lot of research done on leadership credibility. It turns out there's four key components that have not changed in over 30 years in terms of what people say are the most important qualities that create leadership credibility. What do you think the number one is, Adam? If you think about what makes you a credible leader?
0: Well, I would say um, uh, empathy using mm-hmm. empathy. So I think yep. that's a, probably a good one. Um, having good listening skills is probably mm-hmm. a really good one as well. Um, what would I say? The third one is credibility wise. Um, the ability to learn and grow, I think is mm-hmm. another, is, is another good one. And I think the, the last one from my perspective would be is, um, Don't compare yourself to others. You know, don't compare yourself to other leaders in in a marketplace. Always be the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah. So all important, and yet when it comes to credibility, the answers are are a bit different. So number one, honesty. Okay, is that we actually want our leaders to walk the talk and talk the walk? That they basically, like you said, role model, do what you say you're going to do, and that people. So it's not just honesty talk, but actually showing up and following through with commitments that's number one next one is around inspiring and I think part of what you talk about around listening so inspiring doesn't mean you have to be you know a level 10 extrovert oh my gosh like you don't have to be a cheerleader like that's not inspiring necessarily in fact being empathic or being a great listener can be a huge way to be inspiring because it actually shows people that you're interested in them so they are connected so we've got honesty we've got inspiring third is around competence right that basically People believe that you know what you're doing. Because if we start to doubt your competence, they're not they're not gonna have much confidence. So in you, important,
0: Alan. So, so important, important, I know. Oh my God. <laughs> and,
1: yeah. And the fourth one is around forward looking, but you have some kind of a vision of the future. And that, that actually what separates out leaders from contributors is that leaders are basically looking to bring us on a journey from our current state to some sort of desired future state, whatever that future state might look like. Mm. So that's some examples of of what that looks like.
0: Very cool. I mean, they're, they're yeah. kind of closely related. I think the, yeah. the ones that I was giving, uh, but maybe yeah. from a different context. So yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. like it. Very, very cool. Um, interestingly enough, um, now empathy is, is a word that's come up a lot over the last mm-hmm. sort of, uh, um, 18 to, tw- uh, to 24 months, a lot in the workplace, especially from a leadership yeah. perspective. Um, yeah. Especially in times of uncertainty and, and 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 things like that. Now, how can we use um, empathy more in the everyday uh, setting? Whether it be employees working from home, whether it be people coming into the office now, how can we continue to use an empathetic personality or skill set uh, as a way to continue to nurture and keep that connection?
1: Okay, great, great question. So if we think about, let's, let's start again, level setting with what is empathy, right? If it's showing people that you understand them and care how they feel. So what is understanding? Understanding is about seeing reality the way other people see it, right? So mm-hmm. stepping into their shoes, right? And so if you think about the whole field of design thinking, right, design thinking is all about understanding the end user. And what's their experience of this? And then working backwards from that, and what would they like? What would make them happy? And that has informed very much the what we call the user experience. It also informs the customer experience. And surprise, surprise, it also informs the employee experience. So there's been some wonderful studies that come out recently from uh, DDI, Development Dimensions International, around things that leaders can do around the employee experience. So if you think about empathy, uh, so let's say you've got people working from home, so understanding what, how is it like for them to work from home if they never did that before? Are you setting them up with the tools they need to succeed? And so, for example, there are some people, like, I know some, a lot of people are having this debate of, are we coming back to the office? Are we back full time? Are we sometimes back? Are we high? You know, and there's no one size fits all and understanding, you know, everyone's situation situation is different. So for example, if you're in a house, let's say you live in an apartment in New York City, that's 300 square feet, and there's four other people in there. I'm just exaggerating slightly but you get the idea. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs>
0: it's
1: a huge. Yeah, I know. Is it, you? You may be like, itching. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't like working from home is the worst thing. Cause I literally lock myself into the bathroom and put soundproofing on so I can have a zoom call. <laughs> I mean, and other people actually are in a situation where it's much more effective. So a big piece of understanding the employee experience is to ask people so mm. empathy really is kind of a very close cousin of inquiry, you know, it's because we want to inquire. And, you know, if I think about my work as a coach, so often what I'm doing is helping people to clarify for me and for them, understanding what's going on. And then because once people feel that you care about them, that you value them, that's when you get trust. I mean, and that is so key to effective working relationships at every level. So those are some places I would start when it comes to empathy.
0: Love it. Very good. Good answer. Um, Interestingly enough, and this is something that Kind of really got me thinking here and i I had to write this particular question down now i know that we we established at the very beginning of the interview we talked about the importance of leaders which are um you know you know of course you've got to be task orientated you've got to be results orientated and so forth right but how can leaders develop what i call a fine balance between the pressures of running a team to keeping your shareholders happy, to keeping a happy and engaged team. There's a lot of pressure. You know, there's a lot of things to think about when it comes to leadership. Um, But how can we create that fine balance so that we are keeping not just everyone happy and engaged, but we're also performing to a level where everyone, where, where they, where the leader feels, do you know what? I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm being an A player. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best person as I can possibly be. Any, any thoughts about that, Alan?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the challenges, you know, look, one of the challenges that leaders face is the fact that it's, there's a lot of stress, right. And stress is not good or bad, in and of itself it's a question of how much capacity do you have for handling the stress right so you know, like if you're if you're running a 75 billion dollar company if you're the ceo uh, you know there's a certain there's a, there's a level of complexity of stress that being a solopreneur doesn't have now you might have some more support but there's stress so for me a couple of things and one thing i want to do is demystify and debunk one of the leadership myths that I see way too often, and this is why so many leaders struggle amongst other things, has to do with the fact that a lot of leaders think that they have to manage these stresses alone. Mm. So the number one thing I would say is you need to have and create a court of support. And it's not just one person necessarily, but whether these are mentors or coaches or peers or colleagues or f- friends that you've known since the second grade, you need people where you can just not be on, because let's face it, when you're in this leadership role, so often you're on, you have to kind of, you're under the spotlight, you're under the microscope, people are picking apart everything that you're saying and doing, everything you're not saying and doing. So you need a place where you can just decompress, You know, take that leadership hat off and just share, vent, and get some feedback, maybe some coaching, some mentoring around stuff, so important. And the other thing within this, as you think about all the various demands Is what are you doing to increase your personal reservoir of capacity to meet those demands? Mm -hmm. And for me, that's very much around self care on four different dimensions. There's the physical level of your energy, there's the mental. So I'll just kind of go through these in terms of physical energy is around the quantity of your energy. So literally, are you doing things like, are you getting enough sleep? What kind of food or fuel are you putting into your body um you know in terms of are you hydrating you know it's you know basic basic things like that you know sleep being critical to all these things ultimately then you've got your emotional energy right the quality of your energy so you know again if we want to be role models if you're stressed and negative i can guarantee you i have net yet never yet met a single person who said you know i had this amazing leader and what i loved about them the most is how stressed out they got. No, you said No one ever, like no one ever says that. No one ever says that. So the fact is, and the thing is human beings, we are wired as open loops, which means that our emotions are contagious and actually negative emotions are more contagious than positive emotions, which means that what are you role modeling to your board, to your employees, to everyone in your life? So in terms of how do you cultivate And strengthen practices that get you in a more positive frame of mind. So I do all sorts of coaching and leading trainings around what we call positive intelligence, which is mental fitness. So understanding that, you know, you have a challenge, are you dealing with that from a negative perspective, or a positive perspective, and it isn't just because you hope to, you have to actually develop the neural pathways that are going to lead you down to a place of empathy, of curiosity, of appreciation, of purpose, of gratitude, of laser-focused action, as opposed to down a neural pathway of stress, anxiety, fear, scarcity, worry, right? So these are things that leaders need to cultivate. This is why personal and professional development is so important. So that's physical and emotional energy. The third is mental energy, and that's where do you focus your time? So are you one of those crazy multitaskers who's trying to do eight things at one time? Do you overschedule where you're just feeling like you're behind every single day? That's going to create stress versus are you spending time on the work that really matters? Do you block out do you like how many things how many things are you working on that would benefit from taking 2 hours of just uninterrupted time? You know, I asked when I used to do this in person, I would ask rooms and everyone everyone in the room would raise their hand right? Like, oh my gosh, I would totally benefit from just having (laughs) two hours to focus on this project. And I said, great, keep your hands up if you've actually taken two hours of uninterrupted time sometime in the last month. And you know what? Out of like 100 people, only two hands stay up because everyone else, forget it. So mental energy, where you spend your time and your focus is key. And the fourth one is what we'll call it spiritual energy. And by the way, this is not religious. This is about really connecting to the purpose and the meaning of the work that you do, because. Look for you and all the people you lead. When we know what we do really matters, we bring more positive energy to it. And so there's wonderful work that's being done uh, around purpose. In fact, I'm working with some collaborators who are chief purpose officers. You know, there's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a C-suite C- role now. You know, love it. It love is. It. I love it. A lot of organizations are bringing in chief purpose officers because they're recognizing the importance of unlocking the power of purpose. So anyway. Those are some things to focus on. you know specifically of what you can do if you want to be able to manage the stresses of dealing with your leadership, no matter what size organization you're working with.
0: You know what I love about what you've just said there? Because you, you, there's a lot of things that resonate with me, what you were just saying. Energy management, absolutely, 100% love it. Very topical, actually, especially yes. in this day and age. Um, and, the, and the other thing that you talked about was... Which, which I'm a big fan of, by the way, Alan, which is purpose because, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because um, that that rolls in nicely into the next question I have, because as, um, you know, there are what I call different generations of, um, call them employees, right? Whether it be yes. generation Y, generation Z, generation, you know, you, on millennials or whatever it is, right? Yes, yeah. Um, my question would be is, how does our leadership styles differate between someone that say you want to highly improve engagement and motivation with someone that is a generation X compared to millennials that demand more purposeful work and that are not really driven uh, because of money, you know, because obviously, you know, that's just the way life is right now and, and things like that. But how do, how can we as leaders, um, embrace different leadership styles? Are there different leadership styles when it, is, when it comes to dealing with different types of, uh, of different generations? And, and if so, how do we go about doing that? Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I love this question because I, I was talking about this the other day about generations in the workforce and just, yeah, I mean, we still have a few baby boomers still you know, in the workplace, not many, but a few. Mm-hmm. You got Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, you call them what you want. Um, yeah. And so what's interesting, I think going back to the fundamental principles, you know, what we can thank the millennials, particularly also known as Gen Y, thank them because they came into the workforce and they saw basically Gen X kind of put up, you know, we're a small, I'm, I'm one of it, I'm a Gen Xer. So we're a small generation <laughs> demographically. And we kind of had to go along because you had this massive group of baby boomers in the workplace. And so basically when Gen X came into the workplace, You kind of followed along, which was, all right, here's a job, kind of, you know, some of it sucks, but you do it because that's what you do and you pay your dues and you get ahead and that's fine, you know, and that ultimately, if you just kind of stay on the track and keep climbing the ladder, you'll get to the top and you'll be a success. Boom. (laughs) And that's kind of Gen X kind of went along because that was the formula and that's what has been around for multiple generations beforehand. Well, Gen Y, the millennials show up to work and they look at, you know, the old boomers, you know, and I'll give you an example. I worked a lot in like with big four consultants, you know, the big four consulting companies and their model for generations, like for quite some time was we bring the best and brightest at school. And then we kind of put them into these road shows where like, basically they go on the road on Sunday night, you know, they're on an engagement team. They're with a client and they're there till Thursday or Friday. They work 14, 15, 16 hours a day. Damn. You know, we would give them pizza, you know, and then <laughs> if they kind of, turn, you know, they'll work hard and so we know that we're going to churn a bunch out, you know, a bunch are going to churn and leave because it's going to be too hard. But the ones that stay are going to rise up and then we're going to make them managers and then senior managers and partners. And it's always like this law of attrition. Well, that's how it always works. Well, the millennials got to town and they went, no way. This is stupid. <laughs> and they had enough clout. Because there were so many of them that refused to play that game that the big consultancies had to change the equation they like oh we got to start thinking about work life balance, we have to start thinking about things like well being at work, because basically what the millennials said was, I deserve to be cared about as a person, I am not just a worker automaton ready to go to the consulting coal mines and slave <laughs> away for a corner office someday when I'm, you know, 30 years older and this like, and I've sucked, my, you've sucked all the life out of me. I am not interested. In fact, I will quit this job and I will move back into my parents' house. And they did. And many of them did. And so, I mean, so you got to think this really changed the calculus considerably, mm-hmm. And so what's interesting, I think, and I think particularly this is for any boomers and Gen X leaders now, this is the mindset shift you have, because basically what Gen Y and Gen Z have known since they were babies is that you are a valuable human being just for who you are, and that deserves care and respect just for who you are. And yes, there's work to get done. And yes, you want to connect, communicate, and collaborate. Now, Gen X... And boomers look at all this and they go, ah, oh, they're entitled. They just want to, <laughs> they want to be promoted in two days. They don't, they want to no, know, they want to keep learning and growing. They basically don't want to show up and just pay their dues mindlessly. They want to know what are we doing here? What is the greater societal reason? Like you said, our purpose, our meaning for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they will choose to work in organizations for less salary if they feel it's much more aligned to their values. And at the same time, they will leave organizations that do not demonstrate their values in terms of what's going on. So where that leaves now, the folks who are in leadership roles, and this is, we'll call them Gen X particularly, and even some early, early, early uh, millennials, is if you went along and paid your dues, you probably have a little bit of a coping strategy. Like, wait a minute, I paid my dues this isn't fair. I had to do it. What are you saying? You saying that we have to suddenly just carry. And that's exactly what I'm saying is that, you know what, as leaders, the buck has to stop with us. And we have to be the ones to break the chain. You know, just like with fraternities and initiation of hazing, you can't just say, well, it was done to me, so I'm going to do it to them. No, they have asked for a new way of working. And so leaders have to realize yeah, you know what? I went along and I put on with lousy stuff, but good on you, young people. You've asked for something different. Because the other thing is that's different about this generation. You know, everyone says, like, oh, it's just young people. And every generation, you know, young people, just like, you know, boomers were like that, they were rock music. Mm. There's a big difference, though, right now with millennials and Gen Z, which is the things that are creating all the cultural shifts and technology, they're the ones who are in control of the technology. Never before in human history has this new group of new generations had access and control of the very technology that is changing the world. And that is the game changer that we have to be aware of. And that's why leadership needs to shift. You know, so that's the big answer to your question.
0: That's a really interesting <laughs> thought process, though, because what you, what you were saying there about them controlling technology, which I agree, by the way, because, you know, the, the, the experienced uh, Gen X or even the Gen Y, you know, they, they follow a certain ritual. They have certain habits, and they believe that that is the way it's done, and that's the yep. way it's going to stay, right? It's kind of like this fixed yes. mindset, whereas the, yes. the, the the millennials, they're like, no, 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 we should embrace technology And guess what? We control all of this. And if you if you like, don't embrace this, then you're going to fall behind your competitors, you're going to fall behind, you're going to not attract the right types of people, so that when your Gen X people come to retirement, your firm is going to struggle, right? um interesting love it love it love it very cool
1: absolutely yeah in fact as you say that one of the things that i counsel any kind of gen x leaders and stuff i said you know we talk about mentoring i was like you need a mentor and i say, i mean like you need a 25 year old mentor to mentor (laughs) you not the other way around like love it because look i am not a digital native i will never be but you know i need to learn from people like that because my future depends on my ability to keep learning how to learn and so much of learning is is intertwined with technology today so if we don't keep figuring ways to use that to our advantage you like you said we're gonna get left behind adam
0: yeah and do you find that there is um like this um i suppose uh, i suppose element of ignorance or, or or kind of you know well they're younger than me you know uh, i'm older type thing it's like you know kind of respect your elders type of th- kind of attitude what's your thoughts there <laughs>
1: Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, that, that's the piece that we have to break the chain because mm. that is ego talking, right? It's, right. I mean, that's the same thing with parentism, right? Mm. It's like talking to your 18 month old or a three-year-old or a six-year-old. It's like, who do you think you are, Missy? <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, as opposed to like, what if you treated that individual, you know, cause I'm not raising kids. I'm raising people who are going to become adults. I'm not planning to raise kids. I'm raising mm. people who are going to be adults. And I, And I should be treating them with respect the whole way through because that's what they'll understand. And that's what they'll know. So yeah. Otherwise, I think if we use the cop out of like, I'm older than you, it's just, that's just ego and power talking, Yeah, you know, which by the way is intoxicating, you know, you know, this is why the world has some of the leaders that we do because, you know, they say, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I mean, it's intoxicating. People get drunk on this. In fact, they've done all sorts of studies where they've put people and then, and basically entrain them into a powerful state. And they've shown the parts of the brain that deal with empathy decrease significantly. So there's a huge power empathy gap that we have to be mindful to overcome.
0: You know, um, I know that we're coming towards the end of our interview, but I had an interesting thought though, as you were talking, because I know that we were speaking earlier on about the importance of leaders having certain traits and skill sets and learning new things, right? And uh, you, you also mentioned around the importance of um, of honesty, right? So leaders need to have honesty and and, and, and sort of yeah. the three Cs and stuff. But what about the employee themselves? What, I mean, we haven't really talked about the expectations from their perspective, right? What is it that their yes. expectations are? Because on my belief, and here's a really good example here, Alan. I was in a conversation with a client and um, and she said to me, she was like, oh yeah, I sat down uh one of our employees came up to us and said oh you know we we, we've applied for a new job with another company and and so she was fascinated and and she wanted to find out why did she wanted to apply for a new a new job and and go for work for another company and and to cut to the long story short she turned around and and she basically wanted more money now she had no clue whatsoever about that it was completely that because this, uh, my client had had actually been completely honest with the person and said, this is our purpose. This is our vision. This is how we're going to get you excited. You know, there was this kind of what, um, what I call this kind of futurism, you know, you're getting someone excited about the purpose and whatever it is, but the employee wasn't, there was this kind of, um, and, and, and the the relationship between the two people were, they have been going on for about sort of five or 10 years now. So quite, quite a substantial amount of time, but then the kind of I wanted more money, you know, without kind of mm. coming up to that person and sort of saying, you know, I'd like to have a little bit more cash if that's possible. You know, what, what, what's your thoughts about this? Because we really haven't spoken about the employees' expectations and, and the importance of making sure that they follow their rules as well. Are their rules?
1: Yeah. Well, I think this example is a good one that shows that if I've been working with someone for five to 10 years and then they suddenly surprise me, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm leaving. I know I've applied. I'm leaving this company because I want more money. Like, wait, you wanted more money. You never told us what is it, you know, instead of blaming the employee, what did I not do as a leader earlier on in this process? Mm -hmm. So for example, when I'm checking in with people on a regular basis, how can I support you? You know, these broad, open-ended questions are, you know, like whether every so on, like what would make you happier here? I don't, again, I wasn't there, but the question is, are we asking those kind of questions? Is there anything else I could be doing, or we as an organization could be doing to support you mm. want to make sure you and to, to create the space and the avenue for people to start speaking up and sharing that stuff in advance, as opposed to as they're on their way out the door and this comes up in an interview, for example. Mm. So, you know, I think so in terms of, I I like to say humans are good at many things, but reading minds is not one of them. And so as a, as a, as a leader, don't be a mind reader because you're going to suck at it because we all do instead create as many opportunities to ask these open questions and have people tell you what's on their mind. And then you actually have something to work with, you know, and whether or not you can meet their needs, well, at least you know what they are, because, I will tell you, you will never meet the need that you don't know exists. It's just, you know, it's like shooting at a, at an archery target with a blindfold on. You know, True. the likelihood of you hitting that target is pretty low.
0: True. Love it. Very good. Good answer. Um, well, I was going to ask you, um, you've been working in the leadership realm for well over 20 years. What yeah. are you working on? What, what, what's exciting in Alan's world? What is, it that, what, what is it that, you know, that you have to kind of uh, tell our listeners and, and is there anything that our listeners can do for you?
1: Yeah, a couple of things that I'm really excited about these days. You are know, talking about pivoting. So, you know, I mentioned the fact that my book came out March uh, 24th, 2020 and, you know, all, almost all of my work was face-to-face. So I like, mm-hmm. I had to pivot and that's the word of last year, right? Pivot and reinvent. And so a couple of things I'm really excited about right now is I've partnered with a technology company uh, that, and that what we've done is we've taken a lot of these principles that we've been talking about so far in our interview, Adam, around connection, communication, collaboration, and breaking it down to those practical skills, like the check-in, those three questions we talked about, and turning this into an online asynchronous learning experience that is micro lessons. So you do them in five minutes a day over the course of 30 days that uses gamification if you're all familiar with the Love idea it. of gamified apps Love so it uses gamification uses positive psychology and it mm-hmm. uses habit formation and micro lessons and a 30-day leadership challenge and i run a few of these open ones i also bring them in-house for companies so that's one of the things i'm super excited about how we've been able to take this and shift this and how powerful it is and we've had you know know—we've done five cohorts so far and we've had our last cohort we had people from every continent except antarctica We haven't had any. (laughs) So that's one thing I'm working on. So lots of information. Yeah, I can share more about we can learn about that. And the other thing I'm working on right now is, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of building our mental fitness and leadership capacity. And one thing I'm doing now is a a deep dive. I work with small cohorts of only five to six people at most at a time, where over again, this is gamified app-based micro learning. Um, how are you going to practice? Cause you know, I can share with you the insights of mental fitness and why it's important, but ultimately what I find is the goal of be- the, 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 result of behavior change doesn't come from insight. It comes from practice and building new hats through like exercising the muscles. Sure. So in these cases, they're mental muscles, just in the same way as, you know, I can have you read books about golf. I can, you know, we can watch videos of golf, but until you actually get on the golf course and start practicing it and not just once and show up and like, I'm a golf, like, you You have to do it multiple times. So this is a six-week intensive boot camp, as it were, where people practice 15 minutes a day and basically increase their own personal mental fitness. And I've had literally people come through this and say, "Oh my gosh, this has been life-changing." And you know, for someone, that's why I do what I do. I mean, my mission in the world is to create a vibrant and alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. So when people say things, "Oh my gosh, this is life-changing." I mean, that's, I mean, what else is there? It's like, you've made my day, you've made my week, you've made my work. So I'm really excited about these two offerings and being able to help guide and facilitate people through these processes.
0: Great stuff. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of games as well. I'm a bit of a game, game freak. Um, so, nice, uh, nice. And, and, and I think it's just a great way to, you know, engage with people. And, uh, you know, I, I actually remember back in the day, there was um, one, of, one, of, uh, one of the um, great um, gamifications that we did not our company, but it was a, 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 a friend of ours. They created a gamification for improving, improving uh, employees' memories, which was wow. fantastic. It was, it was great. Fantastic. And they actually improved over a you know, six-week period. You could actually see that the, it was just a great way. But I, I love it. Fantastic. So um, just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time today and hope you had a bit of fun. Oh,
1: I had a great bit of fun, Adam. Thank you
0: welcome so guys listen um hope you enjoyed today's um amazing interview i said it was going to be fun packed and lots of golden nuggets in there uh, what i was going to say to you is please do connect with alan on his social media on uh, on the links below and also if you have any questions or if you have any messages about um uh, what alan is actually working on feel free to message him message uh you know also quote uh the, the the game changers experience podcast and uh, and i'm sure that he can put two and two together so uh, so from me and alan just want to say thanks very much for being on the show and uh and see you again hope to see you see you again see you on the next one take care see you soon hey you guys i just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the game changers experience i hope that you got some amazing value some great insights